Alive and Kicking with Claire McKenna on News Talk. Yes, you can email the show alive and kicking at newstalk.com or find me on Twitter and Instagram. I'm at Claire McKenna Presents. Coming up this morning, Aidan O'Brien on what it means to come back to you, Connor Lennon on how blindness doesn't hold him back, and the magic of Bumbalance, the Children's Medical Transport Service. So, what kind of a health and wellness week did I have? Well, I'm just coming back down to earth after what seemed to be a mammoth few weeks. And I do catch myself sometimes either dragging myself through certain life events or busy days. And I stop and remind myself how lucky I am to have things to do and people to celebrate. Our brains, we have to remember, are energy saving machines. We're hardwired to conserve energy. So it's a perfectly normal negative bias to have, but often I'm so focused on how tired I am or I'm saying I've so much on when really I'm fine. And if I just write a list, it's all very doable. And again, it's all very enjoyable. So lucky me, it's a mindset shift that takes a bit of effort sometimes. But I was delighted, I have to say, to pack away all the Halloween decorations and bring back a bit of normality to the home. The kids were off this week, so that threw a curveball of its own. But at least we could sleep in a bit later and avoided the school run. So another win. And there's a meme that I've seen that goes round which reads, things will calm next week, every week until you die. And sometimes I do worry that this will be me. I am trying to work on a creative project and just other work and life events just keep cropping up. Or maybe it's procrastination. I'm not actually sure. I do believe that busyness is a state of mind. I mean, who's not busy? And it's not something we need to wear like a badge of honour, but rather keep an eye on it and manage it so we're not in a constant state of fight or flight. Because sometimes I'll be going around with a million things in my head and my husband might ask if we could talk about something like a pickup he can't do or a golf game he'd like to squeeze in. And I'm like Bookaroo. I don't know if you remember that game. There's a donkey where you load items on one by one until one is one too many and the donkey books. Yeah, that's me. It all comes crashing down. But sure, it's only a game, right? You can email the show aliveandkicking at newstalk.com. So for many, losing their sight would send them spiralling into inaction, but not for my next guest. Connor Lennon is from Drogheda and he joins me in studio now. Hello, Connor. How are you? Hey, how's it going? So, Connor, you were diagnosed with diabetes as a child. Is that something that ultimately led to you losing your sight? Yeah, so I got diabetes when I was nine. Now, back then, that was it was fairly normal. I, think, I still think it is fairly normal for most people, for a lot of people to get diabetes. Um, I Not that I struggled with it, I had it from the age of nine until present, but I don't think I properly got it under control until about maybe three years ago. Yeah, well, kids and sugar are hard to separate, aren't they? And you need to have a better controlled relationship with it as a child. That's that's Yeah, that would be true. But then it's, see, when you turn 18 and you get the freedom to not be told anymore, mm. that's when the kind of the rebellion comes. Yeah, yeah. And you'll do what you want. Well, you feel bulletproof at that age, don't that you? That age, yeah. But there was an incident happened with, with, a, with a car boot that, that accelerated everything. Tell us about that. Yeah, so it, in 2018, I'm pretty sure it was in June or July or August. So I was getting out of the car and I was getting something out of the boot and I closed the boot door and it caught me in the head. And I went into the, I was working in Gym Plus and Drada at the time. So I went in to start doing my swimming lesson, teaching this like, and I noticed that little kind of clouds of, say, they look like smoke or blood or kind of a darkish kind of cloud in front of me started, started appearing. And that's when I decided to go up to the matter to get checked out to see what was going on. Now, it wasn't that the car boot caused the... Because you'd hit your head. I'd hit my head, yeah. So it wasn't that it was the car boot that had caused it. I had had retinopathy, obviously, for quite a 
bit of time before it, but the car boot burst the problems that were there already. So retinopathy would cause your blood vessels in your eye to become quite weak. So when I hit the boot off my head, it's what burst the blood vessels and that led to the sight loss. And it's so frustrating that you're saying that it was when you had it under control, like you were, you had the diabetes down um, and it was just a, a shame. Yeah. That's just the way some things go. How did you navigate coming to terms with all of that? Well, you see, it didn't happen so quickly. So say in 2018 is when the car boot kind of thing happened. That's when I was diagnosed with retinopathy. Now, they had said at that time that sight loss is possible in the future, but we're going to do all the operations and everything to try and prevent it for as long as we can. It wasn't until 2020, it was in the first kind of June of the pandemic when everything was in lockdown. That's when I was told, look, you're at the point now where you can't see well enough to do the stuff that you're meant to be doing. So that's when they said, they, that's when they declared me blind. And that's when, that's when it sank in. Like, How did that feel? It went very, very quickly and slowly at the same time. So say, if it went quickly for the fact that, say when it happened... I was lucky enough that my wife, my, my now wife, had so many things kind of planned out. So she had, like, by the day after I was declared blind, I was on courses, say, to get around the house. And I was in with the NCBI for cane training. I was with Fighting Blindness for different courses they were doing online at the time to show you how to do things. And it was just basic around the house kind of, around the house kind of stuff at that point. So it went very, very quickly in that sense because it was so fast like everything was just happening but it was slow at the same time because there was a lot of points where I was just sitting there but the hard part I keep trying to say there or I don't know if it's hard but at the same time I was sitting there doing nothing I think most of the world was sitting there doing nothing because we were all in our first kind of lockdown so in a good way the lockdown kind of made me think well no one else is doing anything either so Yeah so you didn't have that I can't do this, that and the other because there was lots of us feeling that way and that was the time you had to try and come to terms with this because you had a very full life as you say you had a a, a fiancé did you have your, your child at that time? We had my child at that point yeah. Yeah so you had a young child you were working as a teaching instructor and, and, and a lifeguard you yeah. were obviously driving so all of these things began to change. They did but if you have to think about it as well they had stopped already in March because of, of the lockdowns. So in the March, everyone stopped working. I'd stopped working. Now, the only problem that I found myself is that there was no end to the stop working. For, so there was no going back to the swimming teaching. There was no going back to driving. Playing with the child, you can still do. <laughs> I try and get out of it as much as possible. But <laughs> don't no, I, I don't. I don't. <laughs> but you still you get away with most things at that. I, I feel quite blessed in a way that it was during the pandemic. I'll always say that it was it was kind of a gift that I wouldn't have noticed at the time, but I do now. So say there was no things that I missed out on because they weren't on. Yeah. And you got married I in did. the summer. So what 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 can you see? Can you see anything? I can see some stuff out of my left left eye especially. So my right eye would have very little vision. It'd have little speckles, say, in the bottom and out very far to the side. My left eye would have nothing in the centre. So when I look at something, it disappears. And then I'd see around it, if that makes sense. So imagine holding your hand in front of your eye and then whatever your wherever your hand goes is what you're looking at. So that disappears. So if I look directly someone at the face, their face disappears. If I look to the left or right of them, I might see what their outline of their face looks like. But you know yourself, looking in your peripheral, you don't get the clearest picture. But you can still see. So you felt like you could see your wife 
on on your wedding day, or you could see your wedding happening oh, yeah. around yeah, you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I knew how to get around and how where everyone was, and sure, I had the same great day everyone else would have on their wedding day. I didn't yeah. let it, it. It didn't stop me. Okay, okay, and you've found these workarounds. So you're working now in a in a Chinese takeaway. Yeah, I work part time in a Chinese takeaway. Um, it's How do you know the difference? This fascinated me between a Seven Up and a Diet Seven Up. You put one on one side of the fridge and the other on the other side of the fridge. It's just how you set up. It would be the same when it comes to say money. You just make sure that every coin has its own space in the till. I know that sounds basic, but if it's not there, it's when the till starts going short by euros and twos and whatever. The Cokes go on the right, the Diet Cokes go in the middle, the Coke Zeros go on the left. It's the same You just. It's the same as everything at home. Everything has its place. Once it's there, I can get, I can do it. And is there anything you feel you're, you're, you're lacking or is that an, an obvious question to ask? You're, you're lacking full sight, but you don't feel like you're missing out on life? No, not at all. Transport is the only hard thing. I rely a lot on buses. Taxis come second, but they are very expensive, but that's the joys of living in the country. That's just the hard part. Transport and getting around is the only difficult point that I have at the moment. Everything else is a walk in the park. What about the attitude of, of people around you? You're still Connor. You don't want somebody's sympathy, but, you know, either a, your mom or, you know, even the change that it made to, to you and your, your partner as a couple. Uh, sympathy? Not sympathy, I know what you mean. No, I wouldn't want to feel heartache or, oh, poor Connor. Like, I'm doing as much as I can. If I did more than this, it wouldn't be sight that was stopping me. It would be pure exhaustion. Like, I've got enough going on that I'm every minute of my day is quite full. Like, at the poor, I don't think, back at the start, at the start, poor Connor was a just feeling because it was a big change and it was a big shock and there was counselling and there was days sitting at home quite upset and there was days like just sitting there and like, you know yourself, if you get into something you can really dive deep into it as a problem. And that happened for a quite a long time as well. So it's not that everything is great from the start. You've just got to work on it. And you start working on it by something silly like going out for walks with the dogs in the morning. That was the first thing I did. And then as that got a little bit not enough, that's when I started playing the piano. And then when that started not been enough, I think I looked on Facebook and I saw a job for the Chinese down the road. And I said, right, well, let's give that a try. And then, and then we went back to the gym and then... Recently, me and Aoife just start, um, took over a crash in Drada, and that's the next step. It's just you do things step by step at your own pace. And tell us about the piano. So you learned this during lockdown from YouTube tutorials. Yeah, I did. Um, Aoife went back to work because that was the way the crashes had opened. No one back to school. And all of a sudden, what I thought was a really full day was I was leaving for a walk with the dog at eight o'clock in the morning, getting home at 10. And then I was sitting doing nothing for the day. And it was just that my uncle had a piano that he'd given to a family friend for a few years and he needed to take it back and store it somewhere. So he asked, here, do you want something to do? I said, sure, I'll give it a try. And what does it bring to your life, being able to play? It brings quite a lot. You get very, very annoyed at the start and then all of a sudden the song comes together and it's like, oh, look, I can do that now. And you have a party piece, Ed Sheeran's I See Fire. Uh, that's the one I'm playing at the moment. I've I've got quite a few. That's a repertoire now. Repertoire. I'm building building a bookcase of them. So the your site has changed, but your life is as full as ever. Fuller. Ah, oh, fuller. <laughs> and what makes you say that? Well, before it was work and it was home and it was do something at the weekends, go out with friends. Now it's yes, it's work. It's 
a lot more. I think we all learned to be more family orientated during the pandemic. I did a lot as well because I hadn't got we we hadn't a car to get around. We didn't know how, we couldn't drive anywhere. We couldn't go off for spins. It was all home based, and we got very very good at home. So my work life is still strong. My family life is stronger. Exercise wise, I'd say I'm doing okay. And then we still have our nights where we go out at the weekend and we do stuff. And so I just think stronger. I really do think stronger. I love to hear that. I think it's really inspiring for people to hear. Connor Lennon, thank you so much for coming on. Thank you. And if you've been affected by sight loss and would like to find out more about the supports and services offered by Fighting Blindness, you can visit fightingblindness.ie. Connor, all the best to you and to Aoife and to Noah. Thank you very much. Coming up after the break, Bumbleins, the official Children's National Ambulance Service, will hear from its CEO and one of its users. Alive and kicking on News Talk. Alive and kicking on News Talk. You're welcome back to Alive and Kicking. Now, Bumbleins, part of the Searsha Foundation, is a registered non profit charity dedicated to making positive life impacts for sick children. So far, there have been over 11,000 trips nationwide since its inception, and there are hundreds of families availing of the charity's service, all of which are free. Brian Conlon is the CEO at Bumbleins, and he joins me in studio now. And we're also joined by six year old Ella May and her mum, Adele. Well, you're all very welcome. Thank you. Brian, can I start with you? Because people might see the Bumbleance going through the traffic from time to time and it is an ambulance designed for kids and that's what people will see. But tell us a little bit about it and and the service. Yeah, the service was set up, as you said, in 2013. And it was set up really to uh, born out of heartbreak, heartbreak for parents who got the bad news about their child um, who would need treatment arising from serious illnesses. So what, what was set up really was to bring these children to Dublin, mainly to Temple Street and Crumlin hospitals for treatment like chemotherapy or surgical uh, procedures or even consultations. Um, and these children who, who couldn't really be transported in conventional transport, like in the back of a car because of their illness or even on public transport. So what was what we set up was was an ambulance service from all parts of Ireland. We go from Donegal, Kerry, Waterford, Wexford, Midlands, Mayo, all the way. We pick the children up, uh, we bring them to Dublin, we wait and we uh, bring the children home. And um, it's all done in a, in a, in a calm happy environment. These ambulances are decked out with state-of-the-art children's entertainment systems, playstations, Netflix, arts and crafts, books, videos. So what we do is we take the stress and the anxiety out of the journey. And um, we we have also got some very experienced drivers who actually make a bond with the children. Every single one of the children develops this little relationship with the drivers and they're well-experienced having worked in the services over the years. And, and so they're really, really crucial to the service. So what we do is we take the anxiety, we take the stress out of the journey. So when the children arrive at their destination, be it in the hospital, they're calm and uh, they're able to be in the best form ever for their treatment. And then we take them home and they um, are, are happy. And it's, it's a really great service. And I'm really proud to be part and parcel of, of, uh, of Bumblance. Yeah, and of course you are. It's a really beautiful thing that is happening there. And LMA, you've been on a Bumbleance, haven't you? 
And you loved your driver. Tell us a bit about your driver. What was his name? What was his name? Paul. Paul. And you, when you got the all clear from having leukaemia, A-L-L, you got to ring the bell in Crumlin, didn't you? Yeah. And you didn't want to do it without Paul. Sure you didn't. You had your driver standing there with you. Yeah. Oh, and what do you remember about your time on Bumbleance? What do you, what does it look like? Um, taking pictures with him. Taking pictures with him. Yeah. And what else did you love about when you were sitting on the beds? With all your blankets that you used to have for you. Mm. Watching the telly. You used to have mm. your favourite programmes on on Netflix for you for when you came back out, didn't you? Yeah. Yeah. What is your favourite programme, LMA? What was your favourite movie that you used to have on for you? Was it Frozen? Yeah. Yeah. And Paul would have that ready. Yeah. And isn't it great, Adele, uh, your LMA's mum, obviously, that that's the memory of yeah. what must have been a really, really tough and tricky time oh it's it's just unbelievable like the just the service that they provide alone like it does lift an awful lot of weight like you don't have to depend on as I said Brian says public transport you know your lift is going to be there they're going to be out at the door waiting for you when you're finished your treatment and straight to the hall door and even when you go to Crumlin and Temple Street, it's the same. It's all decked out. I remember yeah. having my own little girl there for a scan once and you're following giraffe signs down to the scan. And, and they make it that way and it helps you and it helps the kids. And that's the same with this ambulance service. It's it's something fun and enjoyable and taking the, the fear out of it oh, for yeah, them. Oh yeah, definitely, definitely. And as you were, as you were saying, like it's, it is all down to fundraising. Like the amount of ambulances that's on the road is down to people donating and then the drivers do it in their own time it's all voluntary workers like it's all done in their own time and the help and support that they give families is just unbelievable because it must have been a real nightmare at times you know as as Brian attested when your child gets a diagnosis it's literally your worst nightmare so to have the kindness of strangers who then become friends friends yeah literally like people that you'd never like you've never seen in your life and the support that they bring to you is just, it's just amazing. You can't even put it into words. I'm actually getting emotional now even saying it. Of course you are. Of course you are. And tell us about that day then, ringing the bell in Crumlin. Oh, it was amazing, wasn't it? Yeah. Yeah. So the bell in Crumlin, explain to people where what the bell is there for. The bell in Crumlin is literally, it's, it's a bell that they all... We've heard so many ki- kids ringing the bell when Ellis getting treatment. And all she kept saying is, when is it my turn? And then the day came, didn't it? Yeah. The 7th of April. And she got a last dose of chemo. And then we went to ring the bell. Yeah. And that's it's basically finalising the treatment before they go into remission. So she starts, she's in our first clinic for remission on the 15th of December. And we will be taking bumblings. Won't we? Yeah. Yeah, we will be taking the bumblings. And after that, then it's just onto the new road of recovery. Yeah, and taking it all in. Taking it all in, yeah. Well, you've a beautiful, healthy, happy girl sitting on your knee here. And I think it's a real testament to bumblings that Paul, your driver, was there with you ringing mm. the bell. He went on that journey with you. He, he wasn't came, just a driver. No, he came. He was on every single journey with us. And then we had a new driver that kind of filled in a little bit, wasn't it? We had Jimmy. Yeah. Yeah. And Jimmy came as well. 
when she rang the bell, didn't she? Didn't he? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and just to do the normal things, isn't that right, Adele? Yeah. She was restricted to so much, like even down to swimming. She couldn't wait to go swimming. But now she's able to go because she's no Hickman lying in. And it's just basic, the little small things in life that you take for granted. Yeah. Yeah. Well, Which enjoy is- bringing them back. And Brian, how can people support Bumpalins and get involved? Well, in in many sort of ways, we, like we have our website there, and 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 we people can donate through the, through the website. Like it, it as Adele says, we are completely fundraised. We are hundred percent fundraised. We get no support from the government, so we um, we depend on the generosity of the public. We depend depend on the generosity of the corporate sector, which we. You know, some corporates have been very, very good to us over the over the years, and we look forward to you know partnerships going forward. But people can look up our website; they can donate. People can organise fundraising events for us. Um, in a couple of weeks' time, we've got a high spirits campaign, so uh, where a number of us um, from from the team and along with a hundred other people are climbing the Galtee Mountains, and that is a really good fundraising event for us. So um, anything that, that, that people can do, we are so dependent on it, but we are so grateful to, to the people of the country who have generously donated to us over the years. And, and why isn't this a, a, a something that the, the HSE fund? I, I, to be honest with you, I, I don't know. It, because it is, not, it is not designated a blue light service, I suppose, and, and, and if it was, it would be dealt with by the NAS, but not as, it's, as it is a, essentially a transportation service. We, we transfer children from their home to hospital and back again. These children aren't necessarily ill on, on the, um, in the ambulance. They are ill, but not... It doesn't fall under the emergency yeah, services category. Fall, it's no. a transport system. Yeah, but yeah. I mean, it's so much more than that. You're bringing in... You're spreading a bit of fairy dust over a very difficult yeah, time, yeah. and I think it's an absolute. Like we we like to say that we're giving giving the children a lift, but it's more than a lift. We're yeah. bringing them, we're lifting their spirits as well, so that when they arrive for their treatment, they arrive in good spirits and it's therapeutic. Yeah, and I mean mm. we, that's how we need to be looking at, yeah. at health. Absolutely. Yeah. And where can people find out more? Bumblance.com, and and that's that is the the quickest and easiest way to get through to us. So it's like Bumble, like Bumblebee. Well, Bumble yes, our, ants. yes, our logo is is a bee, so it's it's Bumble ants. So it's it's a, it's a play on the word Bumble and and ambulance. Yeah, absolutely yeah. love it. And anyone yeah. who's been through it becomes a queen bee. So we have a queen yeah. bee, sure. LMA <laughs> here with us. It's been a pleasure to have you here in studio. Thank you so much, Mum Adele, and uh, Brian from Bumble and Brian Conlon, Chief Executive. Thank you so much for coming on. Thanks, Claire. Coming up after the break, coach and mentor Aidan O'Brien on what it means to come back to you. Alive and kicking on News Talk. Alive and kicking on News Talk. You're welcome back to Alive and Kicking. Now, my final guest, Aidan O'Brien, has been a regular guest on the show, a mentor and coach. He not only talks the talk, but also walks the walk. Having professed the intention to write a book and start a podcast, he has recently done both under very similar names, Back to You and Back to Me. And he joins me in studio now. Well, Aidan, you made it back to me. I've come back to you, Claire. That was the whole thing was about, just getting back to you. Of course, the whole world revolves around me, absolutely. No, the whole world revolves around each and every person and that is your new message. 
Absolutely, yeah. I mean, for years, I've been you know, teaching people skills and strategies to add on to themselves. And it's only in the last few months, I call it a little bit of an awakening, where I realize we, the, most, the most important journey is what we can let go of, because I believe we actually have everything we need. And I always knew that kind of theoretically and intellectually, but you know, working with so many people over the years, you always get these different insights. And over the last few months, through a couple of different experiences, I realized the ultimate journey is really getting back to our true self, our highest self. Um, and I've had never had so much clarity in my life. And that's why there's been no blocks. It's been clear running and the new program, the new book, the new podcast has all kind of flowed really in the last few months, you know. So, as I said, you, you wanted to write a book, you wanted to set up a <laughs> podcast. So with all this knowledge that you have, did you just cut straight through procrastination and make it happen or do you fall foul of that like anyone? Yeah, I mean, I love the word procrastination, but I much prefer avoidance behaviour because procrastination is way too nice a way of putting it. It was a mentor of mine who said that to me years ago. He said, you're in avoidance behaviour. And I'd say I'm a master of avoidance behaviour. So as much you know, as I know strategies and implement strategies and help all my clients do it, for sure I face it all the time as well. I mean, it's a human condition, like many things. And it's really, it's clarity. When you don't have clarity, I've said this to you, I think, before here on, on the show, most people lack clarity and that's why they don't have the confidence to take action. I got massive clarity with this whole back to you, back to me thing. I mean, I've never had more clarity in my life. And in one sense, I parked so much of what I've been teaching for the last 15 years because I've realized this is the ultimate journey. It's all that actually matters is getting back to you. And I've noticed a lot of the big thought leaders come back to that eventually, don't they? It's all gain, gain, get, get. And then all of a sudden they get there. And, you know, when you start coaching top CEOs and top mm. athletes, you realize that it's not just achieving everything. It's about inner contentment. And you feel that U-turn, I find. Mm. I mean, I think it's slightly different in the sense that, you know, even from a coaching and mentoring point of view, I still, with the executive senior level, any person I work with, they want to learn things to get to where they want to get to. And even if they want, they've got the, the material things, maybe they want to improve their relationships or their marriage, or maybe they want, you know, just their confidence or their self-image. You're still kind of teaching them strategies, or I was, and I still am, because it depends where you are in your journey. But this whole philosophy now is that it's, it's more of a, letting go like to me I always talk about kind of being, being asleep and awake being awake is when you let go of everything that you are not because I think we've all collected so much in our mind you know in, in our, through our fear or doubt through our childhood from our parents or community we've collected so much that's not actually ours at all it's not our thoughts our beliefs um, so now it's really about letting go like that's kind of my main message now is like if we let go of everything, I believe we have all the gifts that we're looking, the gifts that we're trying to we're trying to teach. I believe that's like wallpapering over the cracks to a certain point. Like, let me show you how to think. Let me show you how to change your language. We talked about that last time. Let me show you how these words not to use. They still apply, but it depends on where you are in your journey. To fully awaken to who you really are, it's ultimately about letting go of everything that you're not. So what about the things you've picked up along the way? Maybe it's trauma, experience, what went on in your family, society's expectations mm -hmm. of you, all those things still remain the same. So what are you awakening to? When you identify, you know, that's, I think we, we all have these obstacles in our life. Maybe we don't know how to label them. That's a lot of work as a coach is helping people label and get clarity and understand why they are the way they are, why they feel the way they feel, why they think, why does my mind go to that reaction always? Why do I get angry so quickly? Why do I feel sad? Like People just know the emotion. They don't know how they got there. 
So one of the great things about coaching is helping elevate people out of their current perspective to see really from a different point of view, right? Um, and then also to help people remove some of the limiting beliefs that they have. Because I believe like limiting beliefs, I do this with my clients now, it's you draw a circle and you write limiting beliefs inside the circle. And then throughout the week, every sentence, every thought that comes to mind, you say, is this a limiting belief? And if it does, you put it inside this limiting belief circle. Because I believe this circle is like a scarf people are wearing around their eyes. We all have so many limiting beliefs and there's so much opportunities for growth, for change, for everything in our lives, whether it's professionally or personally. And we don't see them because we're blinded by those limiting beliefs or we're, we're weighed down by the emotion or by the thoughts or by the fear. So the work I do now is really, as it's always been helping people understand that and, and get clarity on that, but now it's, can I let go of that? Instead of wallpapering over it with, let me teach you this strategy or let me teach you this, and they still apply, as I said, the ultimate journey is let me let go of what's not mine. Let me let go of what I don't need anymore. Like I say, this is in the book, we have to stop judging ourselves, first of all, because everything you don't like about yourself was created when you were vulnerable. It was created when you, at a time when your body felt discomfort, it felt insecurity, pain, whatever. And we created this aspect of our personality to protect us. So we never feel that again. So one of the chapters in the book is like loving the parts of yourself you don't like. Because we all have parts of ourselves we don't like. But what we don't understand is they were created at a time when we needed them or we believed we needed them. So one of the great things now is once we can identify that where that came from, that's the first step, awareness. Awareness is the key to everything. Then we can change it. A lot of people are trying to change it before they know what it is, before where it came from. So it still has the power. Once we bring it into the light and we see, oh, that's where that came from. It's so much freedom here. And now we can let go of that and we can move forward. Now we're kind of peeling back layers of an onion and we're shining brighter just by letting go. We haven't learned anything new, really, in some way. We've just let go of something that's not us. Yeah, and I would have always thought comfort zone was something really nice and positive, like very cosy and fluffy. But sometimes comfort zone can be quite negative, that it's always somebody else's fault or I can't or all those self-limiting beliefs. Mm. But that's keeping you safe because you don't have to try when all that other stuff is going mm. on. It keeps you in that little safe zone. Well, I'll just sit here being angry at myself and everybody else. And you've a really interesting quote at the end of all your emails. Don't worry about moving too fast and falling. Worry about standing still and staying the same. Yeah. And one of your chapters is called Ultimate Freedom. So is that our ultimate freedom? We don't necessarily have to be a CEO or a gold mm. medal winner at the Olympics. We just have to have taken off those layers and become aware of our, our patterns and ourselves. I think generally on the surface for most people, it, early on in our life, we care about maybe time and financial freedom. We want to get to a place of financial stability. We want obviously as much free time or a better quality, good as quality of life as possible. I believe as we get older, even from like early 30s on, we start caring more about mental and emotional freedom. And again, that's what a lot of the high level people I work with, they have the financial, they might not have time, they have the financial, but they definitely don't have the mental or emotional freedom. So for me, ultimate freedom is, yes, we still want to achieve time and financial freedom, of course, because time is all we have. It's the most valuable thing we have. But mental and emotional freedom is the greatest gift we can give ourselves. And then I believe the physical, and I'm cautious to use this word, but spiritual freedom. I haven't found a word to articulate yet fully because there's a lot of, again, you know, association and connotation. Like I, do, I don't like the word life coach. I'm not crazy about the word spirituality because... You know, people's. Well, people put it with religion, but it's actually not that. I've really come round to that as well, particularly I'm doing a health coach course at the minute. And when they're talking about a holistic view of health, 
they're talking about your spiritual your spiritual practice, practice yeah. and what that is to you. And for some, it's walking through a forest with the dog, exactly. and for other. They are very wedded to their religion and that's Mm. a huge gain in their life. I mean, in the blue zones around the world, that's one of the key factors to where people live longest and healthiest is that they have a spiritual practice, be it in their community Mm -hmm. or be it in their religion. So as a human, whether we like it or not, because of all the negative connotations Mm. to organised religion, spirituality is something we we need to to have. And the thing about spirituality is I used to think it was some things we like that's spirituality. But the higher, you know, level of your awareness goes to, you realize everything is spirituality. And that's the whole back to you. That's the podcast called Back to You. Back to me is because every personal person has to get back to me. That's our old job. That should be your only focus is how can I get back to me? And that's the most spiritual thing you can do because and it's in the book, you know, it goes quite deep. There's a lot of and, and truth is is deep because it's real. But it's simple. It's very simple. Like once you get back to the truest essence of ourself and you realize that unity and that oneness and that there is no separation from nature or from anything else, um, that's one of the most spiritual things you can do. So ultimate freedom is time, financial, mental, emotional, physical and spiritual. It's all of that. It's just being completely in alignment with your truth, completely connected to to your higher self, to the real you, not to the illusion of the mind, because the mind is the biggest source of all our problems. So where do people start? That's always one of my questions when I have a discussion like this because, you know, I think it can get so big so quickly because it is big stuff. It is, yeah. So what's the first step? The first step, I would say, is awareness. That's all we have. Like, you don't have to worry. Everyone tries to change everything. Let me go out there and change something. And I always say it takes more than a couple of conversations and a couple of meditations to to heal decades of programs or to undo, you know, decades of thought patterns and emotional behaviours and responses. So the first step is just awareness. It's just to be that observer, to be the witness. And, you know, to really just to allow yourself to, again, just to see without judgment. You know, judgment is a human condition. That's something we do. But just to observe, that's the first step. Let, and this, I, I do with every client, either one-to-one or in my group programs, the first thing they do, one of the first kind of exercises or steps is on a daily basis, just observe I don't want you to try and change how you think. I don't want you to try and change how you react. I just want you to notice it. Because once you observe it, you create some, automatically you create some separation between you and the thought, between you and the emotion. And that energy will change by itself, actually. Because energy can't be created or destroyed. It can just change. It can just transmute. If there's no space between you and the thought or you and the emotional reaction, you stay stuck to it. It's me. You identify it as you and you can't change it and it owns you. Just by observing it and being a witness to it, that separation allows it the energy to kind of shift by itself. And you say, that's not me. So the answers are within. Like I always say, I don't have the answers. I have the questions that will bring you to your answers. All of our answers, that's why back to me, we have everything. I know, I've, I've done it myself and it, it is really interesting. You catch yourself a little bit more so it's not that you don't feel these feelings anymore or have no, these thoughts no. anymore but you can step back and go, oh, I know what that is but now. You first, you first catch it and you say you don't have to change it but it changes kind of organically by itself because you're shifting in awareness. Everything is your meaning you give to it. Everything is how, there's no good or bad. It's just, does it suit your preference? Is it in your control or not? It's the meaning you give things that are the issue. It's your mind interpretation of it, how you think it should have went. So when you observe things, you create that space. Now you're looking way more clarity, a little bit more objective thinking, that's not actually me. I don't need that. That's old. 
that doesn't serve me anymore. And now you can just let it go. Now, it might take some repetition. It depends because in one instance, there's so many layers of doubt, fears and traumas in our life. There's, there's a distance between who we really are and who we think we are. But at the same time, there's nothing in between who we really are. We are that already. And that's what Back to Me is about. It's we are that. So in one moment, in an instant, you are that. And in some moments, we feel like we have to work through it. We have to go through this layers and spend time. And in some cases, yes, but one of the greatest freedoms is knowing that you have it already and that you are it. And it's just, it's such a beautiful feeling once you get to, to that place and just a real confidence comes inside of you then because there's no urge to control. There's no attachment then because you are it. Yeah, you're just trying to get back to it. It feels like less work, all right. I mean, there's still work involved, <laughs> yeah. but it does rather than striving to be yeah. something out Dude. there in the ether. It's already here, See, world, it's easier. And that's why I say in the book, like the world wants you in separation mode. It wants you in distraction mode. It wants you in need mode, spend mode. Because that's how the world works. Big pharma, big food, big media, big everything, right? But when you get back to you, there's no need from the real you. Need is illusion. And, you know, that's the biggest challenge today is everything is trying to set. People are living outside of themselves. Everything they think they need is outside of themselves. Once you get back to you, you're fully in your power because it's you. You have it. You can always rely on you. You just have to sink back into you. And all the misery goes away because you everything, all the misery is in the mind because you think you need. I think I have to get this. I have to be this. I have to have that. I have to experience this. I have to be there. No, you don't. It's illusion. It's absolutely illusion, but it's just something that's in front of our, like watching a movie over and over every day in our lives. So once we get, what I want to do now is what I am doing now is getting people back to themselves and they say, wow, I don't need anything. And once you have that freedom, now you choose what you want without attachment, without a desire for control. And now funny, that's what Buddha said to awaken was, was to be desireless, to be desireless, not to have any desires. A lot of people get that interpreted wrong. What it, what it means is to not have an attachment to something, to not be chasing. Like as soon as you try to get this, you don't have it anymore. This freedom, ultimate freedom, like back to yourself. As soon as you want to go and grab it, you lose it. How do you get it? It's already yours. Yeah, that, it's already that whole, there. I'll be happy when you're always just put kicking it down, kicking it down. You get there and you just kick it further on it's down illusion. rather than having it here and now. So how did you find the process of, of writing the book? It was interesting. I'm a speaker, you know, and that's why I struggled even for you talk about procrastination or avoidance behavior earlier with the video thing and the social media is because I like this live, I, the feeling with the people. Um, so even now how I do it on social media is I, I'm using clips from podcasts and radio and stuff like that. And same with the book. I would feel, I would think of a topic in, in terms of like if I'm talking with you now, what do I feel like talking about today? And I'll I'll write that down, but in the way of as if I'm speaking to you, as if I'm working with a client. So let's say I had a, a coaching session in the morning and we talked about identity or something like that. Then I'd go and write on that because I'd be feeling that energy. Like I want the book to come across like you're hearing me speak. Like my strength is in how I articulate things and the message I can deliver. It's not necessarily in how I write it. So if, if I wrote it, it would maybe be flat. So I, I like to write like I'm yeah. bringing the solution to someone. Like we're live in the mix, figuring stuff out. And I hope that comes across. Because I've just listened to a couple of interviews recently. One was um, uh, a writer on a book tour for a, a fictional book. And the other was the first chapter I'm listening to a guy's memoir um, on Audible. And he was talking about 
what an absolute nightmare he's mm. had writing this. And this is a really smart guy with a lot of stories to tell. Mm. And he just couldn't sit down and do it. And it was that kind of imposter syndrome. And the fiction writer said the same. She just goes on this journey of, oh my God, this is terrible. Oh my God, I'm not going to be able to do this. It's the worst thing I've ever written. And mm. now she just knows that she's going to come out the other side of that. Yeah. And then say, actually, I think this is the best work I've, I've ever done. It seems it's quite the imposter syndrome inner critic journey. Yeah, I mean, for me, what I notice now is that when I speak, I, I feel like the words kind of dissipate in the ether after a while because they're words. But the words going on black and white and ink is going to be different. So I, I have that for sure, you know, these questions, the inner critic. But for me, some of the piece, it's like when I deliver, when I do a keynote. For me, when I deliver a keynote, it's about how, what can I deliver? What do they need? It's not about me. Like, I'm just the vehicle to get the message. So it's never, that's a key for anyone out there who struggles with public speaking. It's never about you. It's about them and set that intention. But with the book, selfishly, I wanted to, this was such a transformational period for myself. You know, I've been exploring self-exploration, exploring the universe and interp- like interpreting our place in the world for 20 years. And in the last few months, I've had such an awakening, you know, to again, for lack of a better word, I wanted to document this time in my life and have it down. So I'd always remember in case, again, I get separated, in case I get distracted and pulled away from myself. I wanted to document everything because I feel what I'm feeling, saying right now is the most important. I've never had more clarity and certainty in all my life. Like this is the message, my mission here. And I wanted to document that at this time. So I'd always have it. And then I wanted to, you know, this phraseology and this wordage I'm using, I wanted it down with my name on it, selfishly. I wanted like this is where I was at at this time. So there's a bit of freedom with that, ultimately, that I don't care if it's, where it goes or what it does. This is a little bit for me and then for the right people who are feeling that way, it'll be for them. And that's why I'm self-publishing it. It's, it's a, when I do speak at an event and people want to hear more or when people are on my podcast who write to me and say, wow, I love your, how, you, how you say things and deliver things, it's for them. It's not just to be out there and be an author. So I think that takes some of the pressure off as well. you know. But of course, with the perfectionist mind, I do want people to enjoy it and I, I do want it to come across. So that's always going to be there. So when you rock up to give a keynote speak a speech or when you're doing your podcast, do you just go with the flow or do you have a plan or something learnt off? Yeah, no, I don't learn anything off. I don't even, I'm speaking at this uh, big event um, in Limerick, an empowerment and equality conference, about 1,200 people at it. Yeah, I've, I've an idea of what I want to talk about, but I there's no preparation really. It's like what the, I feel what that audience needs and my intention is, is to serve them, to give them what feels right. So there's really no plan. It's complete trust. Man, yeah. that is brave. What if you look out there? I mean, I don't want to bring negativity yeah. into this awakening you're having. What if you look out there and you, you freeze? Yeah. It just hasn't happened yet. I've been speaking on stage 15 years, almost yeah. a half a million people. I've been on stage for 18,000 people a couple of times. I've done so many events with hundreds and thousands of people out there. Anything can happen, but it doesn't matter. Again, whatever happens, happens, but it's trust. And it's when what you do is who you are, you don't have to remember anything. It's not what I do. It's part of my DNA. So it's just, again, what's the intention? The intention is to give them what they need, whoever's in the audience, to connect with, with them. It's not about me. I'm just, uh, and that's the thing, when you open your heart like that and it's genuinely to give something to others, that'll be received. You know, words are met with resistance, but when you are a certain way and you feel a certain way, that you can't have resistance to that. It's a vibrational thing. And I think people feel that, you know. So when is that in, in, in Limerick, in your on, hometown? It's my hometown. I can't believe I in the University Concert Hall in Limerick. It's um, set up by Dr. Mary Ryan, who's an incredible woman, um, a powerhouse around Ireland for women's health. 
And it's on at University Console on November 11th in Friday. And to be on stage there as a Limerick man is fantastic. So I'm really excited about that. Yeah. And when do you think the book is going to be out? That's a great question. Uh, it'll be December or January. I'm considering putting it as a, you know, a new year. A stocking filler. A st- yeah, so it depends on the getting Either a stocking published. filler or a, don't do New Year's resolutions. Have a, a proper look and take the pressure off. Absolutely. I mean, there, there's also like the resolution. I think there's an innate thing in all of us to improve every year at our birthday, you know. Um, and I think when people find this, they find it. And when you have the audience who want it, they'll, they'll get it wherever, but... Yeah, it'll be out, I hope, by December. It'll go at least be ready for pre-order in December anyway. And then by January, you know, fingers crossed. Well, keep an eye out for it. The book is called Back to Me. The podcast is called Back to You. (laughs) The man is Aidan O'Brien. Thank you very much for coming on. Thanks for having me, Claire. Appreciate it. So that's it for Live and Kicking for this week. My thanks to my producer, Aidan McKelvey and Hugo De Silva-Scott, who was on sound. And thanks to you as ever for listening. I will see you next week. Alive and Kicking with Claire McKenna, Sunday morning at 8 on News Talk.